Welcome to Lead Pods, the official leadership podcast from USMB for pastors and church leaders, where our goal is to increase our impact together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the USMB Lead Pods. Uh, my name is Matt Ayersman. I am your host, and I'm looking forward to a really great episode today. So I wanted to give you just a little small uh, behind-the-scenes peek behind the curtain here. So we record these. Obviously, the release the episodes are released every two weeks. We record each episode several weeks in advance, and then it takes us a little bit of time to edit. And um, so it's a little bit of a process to get all these episodes put together. And the kind of downside to that is sometimes we miss uh, really big things that happen in between episodes. And so, obviously, um, last time that you heard my voice was a little over two weeks ago, and uh, it just feels like the world was a different place two weeks ago. Um, obviously, the the death of George Floyd has just caused our nation and really the world to just kind of pause and to evaluate where we are and um, hopefully come uh, to some positive change. And so, um, I just felt like we couldn't go another episode without at least talking about it and at least acknowledging uh, the situation that we're in. And although we're not going to really dive deep into it today, um, I did want to let you know that this past week I recorded a, a future episode that we're going to air uh, with Aaron Hernandez, who leads a Hispanic church right on the border of Texas and Mexico. And obviously it's not the exact same, but we did talk about racism and how um, differences in culture affect his leadership. And he had just some really great things to say. So since we haven't had a chance to talk about it, and I didn't want to, you to think that we are ignoring it or um, choosing not to address difficult subjects, it's just the way things go when you record ahead of time. Um, and I don't know about you, but this 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 whole the news and the, just the dark place the places that we've been seeing, um, it's affected me and it's caused me to pause and think about how I handle things and how our nation handles things. And as we begin to hopefully again. <laughs> move on to whatever a new normal might look like if that ever happens. Um, I just pray that you are on a journey where we're all learning and trying to listen to each other and be kind and loving. And so I just wanted to address that before we got too deep today. But beyond that, we really do have a great conversation today. I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. While back, I got to talk to Ed Boschman and Jameson White. Um, And if you probably know Ed, maybe you might not know Jameson. Um, we had a really great talk. The three of us had never talked before, and but the three of us hopped on a Zoom call, and we really, I think you're going to really enjoy uh, what these two guys had to share about relational evangelism. So we'll uh, define that term and dive a little bit deeper here in just a second after a quick word from our sponsor. Uh, but thank you again for joining us, and I really think you're going to enjoy this next episode, so stay tuned. What would it feel like for you to be living at your full potential? What if you were regularly connecting with someone who accepts you unconditionally, believes in and affirms your potential, actively listens to you, and keeps you accountable to help you reach your goals? A life coach will get you there. Coaching is an intentional one-on-one relationship that empowers people to realize their full potential in personal living and vocational accomplishment. Lead Coaching is facilitated by trained MB coaches who serve as a life-on-life coach and is available to pastors, leaders, and anyone. To learn more, visit www.usmb.org backslash lead coaching or call Ed Boschman at 661-549-6021. 
All right. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to a fun conversation today. We were just uh, chatting a few minutes here before we started recording. Uh, the three of us really don't know each other very well, but we're looking forward to a really fun conversation. Um, so today I'm joined by Ed Botchman. Any of you may know Ed, I'll uh, let him introduce himself here in just a second, as well as Jameson White, who is the Executive Director of Youth for Christ in Fresno. So we've got um, a great, I'm looking forward to chatting with both of you guys today. And our topic is uh, relational evangelism, which I know is, is something that you guys are both really passionate about. Um, so really looking forward to this. Ed, um, just in case someone, someone listening doesn't know who you are, your background, give us a quick uh, bio and what you're up to these days. All right. Yeah, my joy to be with you guys today. Um, spent uh, most of my life in local church ministry, uh, church planting, uh, and then back into that church plant uh, as an executive pastor for a handful of years. That was in Bakersfield, California. Done quite a bit of national USMB work that began with Mission USA when it was launched uh, back in the 90s. And so we spent a handful of years doing that based in Phoenix. And then um, back into uh, Bakersfield again, eventually was invited to become the uh, USMB National Executive Director, uh, served in that role for seven years until 2014, at which time I semi-retired and asked the board whether they'd be gracious enough to let me have a couple of the pieces of action as we moved into this next season of life. And they were gracious enough to do that. And so I still do life coaching in behalf of uh, USMB, uh, and I appreciate the privilege that they've afforded me to do that. And then I also represent USMB at the international level with ICOM, which is an acronym for International Community of Mennonite Brethren. So those two little pieces of action, and we have since uh, moved out of California into the Pacific Northwest in Linden, Washington, to be closer to many of our siblings and family up here and so we're uh, adjusting to surviving uh, winter rather than summer. <laughs> but we're having, but we're having fun here doing it. Well, you're you're a legend, Ed. I'm grateful for your your time with us today. So, uh, so Jameson, how about you? I know you don't necessarily come from an MB background, so tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah, actually, <clears throat> I married in. So my wife went to Fresno Pacific University, and that's where I met her and uh, married into the Mennonite clan. But I serve as the executive director of Fresno Madera Youth for Christ here in California. Been with them about 11 years, and I've got two little daughters, six and three. And I think I'm at Youth for Christ. Well, I know I'm at Youth for Christ because in high school, that was a pivotal moment for me, deciding to follow Jesus as more of an adult. And, and there were people that played an important role in my story in helping connect the dots for me. Mm -hmm. And so when God gave me the opportunity to serve at Youth for Christ in ministry, working with teens, sharing Christ, it was an opportunity really for me to give back in a way that I felt like I was given to. So that's how I ended up in ministry. It was really unexpected. I thought I was going to be a psychologist, but God had much better plans for me. So that's good. Well, with both of your backgrounds, I think uh, you both are right in line for what we're talking about today with relational evangelism. So, and maybe I'll start with you since when we put the word relational in front of evangelism, um, how, do, how do you define that term and why is it something that you're really passionate about? Right. Yeah, I, um, I ever since uh, when, when Carol and I got married and began our, our ministry, um, we, we soon realized that if we were going to be focusing in local church ministry, we probably weren't going to be uh, interacting with a lot of pre-Christian people. We would be 
prioritizing the family of God, and that's who shows up typically at church, usually, mostly. And um, while I think, you know, there was a movement to create more opportunity for seekers to show up, that was a part of the reality. But, but still, we, we, we knew we had to be intentional about uh, developing relationships with people who didn't yet know Jesus. And so we said, let's do it. And so we, we focused our, our neighbors. Um, we focused people that I would participate in my little athletic endeavors with, whether it was on the golf course or the racquetball court or wherever, um, and uh, developed a hobby later on of uh, some motorcycle uh, life. And so we had biker friends and we chose to, to be with bikers who were not part of Christian biker associations. <laughs> and so we were intentional about building relationships with people who didn't yet know Jesus. And so, and I found out that when you do that, it provides opportunities to tell the Jesus story um, in a very natural way. So that's kind of the, in a, in a nutshell, that's why we, we leaned in that direction. Yeah, cool. And Jameson, for you, I know, um, probably, again, I don't know the details of your story, but surely in your day-to-day -day work, um, especially working with teens, um, this relational part of evangelism is incredibly important, maybe especially for that age group. I don't know. Can you, can you talk yeah, about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's huge. We kind of look at evangelism um, as being three stories, as being God's story, uh, which kind of permeates everything. And then we, each of us walks around with our own story. And then the kids that we work with or our friends or our family, there's, there's a their story. Um, and, and how those circles come together and interact that's that relational aspect. And actually it feels a little bit weird putting the word relational in front of evangelism because I'm not sure how you do evangelism without it being relational. If anything, we ought to qualify the, the wrong ways of doing evangelism, you know, ways that are not relational, ways, ways that maybe even hurt relationship and, and don't bring those stories together, but separate them out and push people away. So, you know, if evangelism really is communicating or announcing the good news, well, that's life on life by definition and by nature. And it's definitely done best in conversation where, where we are listening to one another and sharing and drawing one another closer to God. And Ed, since you've been kind of in, in church and Christian leadership longer than, than we have, it seems to me, um, and maybe it's just my own perspective, but there's kind of been kind of waves of different brands of evangelism almost. Like I, I grew up in an era where it wasn't like the whole idea of passing out tracks or going door to door, like that kind of evangelism is kind of what I, I grew up in. But from what we've talked about so far, maybe what we're talking about as relational evangelism maybe isn't that. Like I've been a part of some things that were kind of one-time interaction with stranger evangelism in comparison to relational evangelism. So since yeah. in your leadership, have you seen kind of some waves and maybe talk about how those are different? Well, yeah, I mean, and in, and in my own personal experience, too, I think one of the reasons that Carol and I chose the direction and the approach that we did was because this other stuff that had been assigned to us and taught to us and, you know, we had mentored for us, which was, you know, walking the streets with the four spiritual laws or, you know, knocking door to door with strangers or um, and, and, and during my era, you know, evangelistic crusades, Billy Graham was, you know, I mean, I was at one of his crusades where he was talking to tens of thousands of people as an evangelist, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a different culture, a different context. The people who were attending were much different uh, in their own psyche than what people are today. 
but but all of that to say, I, I very much agree with Jameson that in, in today's world and in recent decades, relationship is the big deal. As a pastor, every now and again, we'd have pre-Christians coming to church. And so you can be, you know, kind of like the pulpit evangelist if you do it correctly. And it can be effective, but mm-hmm. largely even there, we found out that building the relationship uh, taking an acquaintance and moving that acquaintance to a friend was really g- going to get, you know, an opportunity to share the gospel in a meaningful and effective way. Yeah, that's good. Ed. That's right. It makes me think about the old adage that today it's, it's, it's important that people first belong before they believe. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe in the past it was the other way around that people would believe first and then go join a church where they could belong. Right. I think especially with today's youth more and more and more that meaningful personal connection almost needs to come first before it, it's the expression of our love. It says, I actually do deeply care about you. And then that sets the table for true listening to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So as we're still kind of setting the stage here a little bit, do either of you have um, an, a story or an example of how this has worked in your life or maybe that you've seen other people live this out. So just kind of, again, what this looks like compared to other types of evangelism that people might have in their mind. Do you have an example or a story? Yeah. I'd love to share one with you about a kid named George. Um, So showed up to our local high school. We do a campus life club on campus. And I was there to share about parable of Jesus and this kid never seen before came into club, sat down wearing this bright orange sweater and he's just locked in on my eyes. And that mean, you know, it's like lunchtime on a Thursday. And I'm sharing about parables of Jesus and in a club that's meant to be for kids that are kind of seeking, don't really know God. And so just, you know, basics, fundamentals. And this kid's locked in on me and actually starts to cry by the end of it. I've never had a kid um, show emotion like that. Give me such close attention. So I really took note of it. I was like, wow, he came up to me afterwards. He said, Hey, when you talk, a little bit of the pressure comes off. I didn't know what he meant by that. I was like, okay, like this has never happened. And this is, this is something's going on here. So I look for this kid the next week, not there. Look from next week, not there. I say, hey, anyone know where George is? Uh, nope. I asked the teacher, I said, could you just give me like his phone number? I know you're not supposed to share information like that, but can we just kind of like off the books, off the records? It's like, I don't have it. So this kid shows up at a court hearing and one of my uh, coworkers was there because we do work in juvenile hall as well. And it's like, George, Jameson has been looking for you. Where have you been, man? And gets a story and says, hey, James wants to meet up with you. So I, I took him out. We went to Starbucks or whatever. It's like, George, what happened? And George had been caught up in some crime and was looking at this court date, was feeling all this pressure and had come in the club knowing that this was looming over him. And, and in that club, he had felt kind of two paths. The one he was walking, which was kind of crime, gang, leading him down a path, which I think he was starting to realize went towards death or this Jesus way. And, and I just listened to a story. I was trying to like, okay, tell me your story. Where are you from? And what's your deal? And, you know, abandoned as a young kid, dad went back to Mexico, um, started getting fights with stepdad, ran away to his cousin, looking for family with a gang. And now he just feels stuck and caught. And so I'm listening to a story and, and I'm thinking, you know, as a white middle-class, whatever dude, I'm thinking, man, this guy must feel really guilty about these crimes he's committed. Nope, not at all. George, that's not George's issue. George is like, that's survival. (laughs) What I realized is, as I was listening to George's story is, fatherlessness is this kid's issue. So we're sitting in my car afterwards, just listening to a story and saying, George, I got a verse on my heart for you. 
mind if I share it with you? And out of Psalms, I just shared how, uh, you know, God says, though your father and mother forsake you, I will take you in, says the Lord. I said, that's just on my heart for you, man. I think God's a good father. We don't really know everything that means, but he's for you, not against you. And by the way, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? I'll pick you up, like go to church. So pick him up, go to this, you know, little church plant I'm a part of, a neighborhood church in Fresno, little Mennonite Brethren Church. And we're sitting in the back. And I swear I did not orchestrate this, but the sermon was about God as Father. And uh, Joe White gave a invitation uh, to know God as Father. George goes right up to the front, accepts Christ. Two months later, I got to baptize him in a horse trough because we're a church plant and that's what you do. And, uh, and you know, we, st- we continue walking the, the hard road. Because to walk the Jesus road, you know, gang, gang life's got to go. The drug's got to go. Uh, he since got married to his girlfriend. You know, I mean, there's like all sorts of life is still going on. But it started because God led him into a room and into a relationship. And we mm-hmm. walked that road. And when that happens, like, I just get so excited. Because mm-hmm. it reminds me of my own story. And I just think that's how God works. Life on life, one, one kid at a time. That's an awesome, and like that's to me, like we, I think you mentioned earlier, Jameson, that this kind of evangelism, I mean, it's just the best kind because it works. Like if you had just saw him on a corner and handed him a track, the, the likelihood of him and you ending up where you are now is just so much slimmer. And so that's just an effect. Yeah, it's just the right, it seems to me it's the right way to do it. Yeah. So Ed, I'll, I'll toss to you here. So I think when people hear the word evangelism, maybe a lot of people might think of some of kind of the older variations of it. And a lot of people are afraid They maybe they feel like they don't have the right words. They don't have the right experience. They don't have the right training. They're afraid they're going to hurt the relationship. So I know that fear is something that keeps people from doing this. Has that been true for you or how, how can we adjust that fear to something that's helpful and um, maybe more healthy? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, uh, observation and a great question, uh, Matt. I, I think that I have I have often admitted to people that I've been teaching, trying to teach about relational evangelism. I say to them, listen, virtually every time that I personally am approaching the time when I am going to actually use words to share the gospel story, uh, there's something going on inside of me. It's it's like a it's like a battleground in there, and um, without being like you know, hyper-spiritual about it, uh, I believe that that's a moment when the enemy goes to work, you know? He, he's like, uh, you know, let him, let him believe the story, let him listen to the words, but tell him there's no hurry. That's kind of like the, you know, the C.S. Lewis approach way back in the day. He's like, you know, that's what the enemy is saying to, to, the, little, to the little minchkins that are going to be working. So when my hands sweat, I know that it's a moment of crisis and it's a spiritual battle. So first of all, I got to admit that about my own reality. So always there, there may be a few people on the planet that are gifted with evangelism specifically by the Holy spirit who don't feel any of that. But Mm -hmm. for most of us, that's, that's a reality. And so then, you know, that fear, you know, is it, is it an, is it unhealthy? Is it a bad thing? Is it not good for us? Well, if you read the scriptures, you get all kinds of encouragement that says, if you, if you live faithfully as a follower of Jesus, you're going to feel a pinch every now and again. So mm-hmm. get over it already, right? It's worth it. This is a big deal. And so, you know, risk a little uh, to, to help somebody, um, you know, find peace in their soul, right? So I think if that's a question you're asking, 
yeah. personal perspective, you know, that's what I feel. When I'm involved with, with others, um, trying to help them overcome it, then I say, look, First Peter, First Peter 3 is, is where I go. You, all you've got to do is hang out with people who don't know Jesus. Just hang out with them. Be with them. Turn them from neighbor to friend. Turn them from acquaintance to friend. Uh, bring them from racquetball competitor to backyard barbecue friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Just do whatever it takes to make sure that you become friends. And it's like Peter says, eventually they're going to go, what is it with you? Mm-hmm. Right? What, what's the deal here? Right? And so, uh, you know, maybe you throw in a little edge along the way when you have them over for the backyard barbecue, you say, as we have often done, Hey, give me a minute here just to thank God for the hamburgers, you know? So you throw it in and they're like, well, we survived that. Okay. <laughs> so maybe, maybe this God relationship isn't so bad after all. And so over time, it opens the door. And, mm-hmm. and then another fear that I think people have is, well, what if I can't close the deal? You know, what if I don't know how to do that? Well, I would say, figure out a possible plan if it comes to that. But mm-hmm. in the end, it's really not your deal to close. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one who brings that person to. So, yes, we'll encourage. Yes, we'll convince. Yes, we'll invite. But we're not going to go, all right, now jam it down. No. So we can't do that. I mean, I think those two things come to mind with that question, both the yeah. fact that there, there is likely to be some adrenaline when this is going on, and uh, it's okay. It, it's part of the call. That's good, Ed. It, I was reading this book, and it, these stats really stuck in my mind. This was a while ago, but it, it was saying that fear is the main reason we don't share our faith. And something like only 5 to 10% of people in a given year share their faith. And 90 to 95% of churches don't see anybody new come to know Jesus in the course of a year. Right. And if we're not, and I think the quote was, if, you know, if your church doesn't evangelize, your church, your church will fossilize. Yeah. And it's like, wow. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's an interesting yeah. image. And fear really is the, the reason and fear of rejection or how we'll look or harming the relationship or disagreeing or not being qualified. Fear, fear, which is not godly fear, I agree, is what keeps most of us from sharing our faith. You know, there's another uh, related fact uh, that researchers have told us. I, I would imagine it's still the same as it was a decade ago or two. Most believers, when they come to faith, within two years, they have separated themselves from all of their pre-Christian friends. Hmm. So now you've got a whole bunch of believers running around without any pre-Christian friends. And and one understands that there may be some good reasons for that initially, because you've got to change your crowd or whatever it is, you need better influences. But that whole idea that we really, most of us, most of us in the church don't have ongoing meaningful relationships with pre-Christians. And if we don't have it, um, you know, how in the world are we ever going to get a chance, right? Well, then you're back to random door knocking, which (laughs) it's just not my favorite way to do it. Yeah. Well, and continuing this fear thing, I think probably the biggest fear, well, maybe not, I don't know, one of the biggest fears is that they're they're afraid that once they turn that corner, whenever they start to introduce the evangelism aspects, they're afraid it's going to harm or maybe even end a relationship. And I think that that fear isn't totally unfounded because that prob- that fear comes from somewhere. And 
I wonder if in some ways evangelism is hurt just by the culture that the, just the toxic right, wrong, right, left culture that we're in right now. A lot of comparisons can be made. I've got friends and family who try to convince me of political things all the time and they do it poorly. Mm-hmm. And that puts a strain on our relationship. So Ed, I heard, you, I heard you talking about being slow, taking baby steps, having a barbecue and casually starting with a prayer. So I think baby steps is a very smart way to do it. Jameson, I'm curious about you, especially with, with teenagers. How do you take a casual friendship? How do you turn the corner where you're a little bit more intentional about the evangelism part? I'm sure you've got strategies of how you do that. Yeah. You know, I think Ed started tapping on it with an old image being that we were kind of standing on the corner selling something and then talking people into it and closing a deal. And if you can, if you can break out of that way of thinking about evangelism, I think what we realize is in a relational context, if I'm a follower of Christ, that's a part of who I am from the beginning of our relationship. From the very, if someone meets me in the supermarket and we're talking, Jesus is a part of me. So it's not for me to hold back my life with Jesus would actually be a not authentic. That would be, it would be disingenuous of me to present myself as, Hey, I'm Jameson. This is who I am. And then three months later, be like, Oh, by the way, I'm like a, I'm like a raging follower of Jesus. <laughs> like you didn't know that. Surprise. So I think, I think step one is, is, you know, be salt and light from the beginning. And, you know, Ed talked about inviting um, people into your backyard for barbecue. And, and it's like, of course you would do that because we are, called and committed and want to love our neighbor. We're compelled by Christ's love. I think this, this is one of the interesting things about evangelism, which is if I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like, if I don't feel compelled by Christ's love to share faith, like no amount of strategy is going to get me there. This has to be inside out. This has to be, I am, I myself have been so touched by the work of God on me that I can't help. Like no one, I, I don't have to, I don't have to be compelled to go tell my friend, my best friend about a great movie I just saw. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I just do it. Mm-hmm. So the teaching aspect of this is to help, is to help people understand some like basic skill sets and it's stuff you would probably come up yourself. You sat in a room. It's good listening. It's where's their story and how can you help that person connect their need with God? And like for me with George, I was listening and I would have assumed guilt was his issue. Well, that was actually my issue. His issue was fatherlessness. And as I listened to that, it presented an opportunity for me to help connect him to the love of father. And all I was doing was trying to serve him in that moment. I was just being a Christian, just being a brother and inviting him into a, a next possible step. But it wasn't selling him anything. He could have said no, and I would have still hung out with him again and walked with him. So I think. And that's, and that's a critical point right there. Yeah. Yeah. Go with that, Ed. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I think that's critical. It, you, the relationship doesn't end if a question isn't answered or, or if somebody says, no, I'm not interested or whatever, right. uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's also at work and right. That critical moment of decision is not really in our purview. That's God's deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I'm just affirming what you said, Jameson, that that relationship is bigger than one conversation. Totally. And we ought to, we ought to count those conversations and not just conversions. We should definitely count conversations. Holy Spirit's a big part of it. And that speaks to our abiding relationship with the Lord. 
And then you talked about getting the tinglys and some of that is fear, but some of that actually is a Holy spirit nudging us and saying, this is a moment. Absolutely. This is a, this is a, Jesus is actively pursuing people and it's kind of neat that he includes us. And so we get to be a part of people's journeys and stories and he sets up opportunities even in a backyard barbecue or a Thursday at lunch in high school. Exactly right. And not only in moments that we plan, um, I've had some experiences where uh, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a relationship with somebody who is a pre-Christian. Um, we've become friends, buddies. Uh, we're, we, we trust one another. They already know the story. Uh, somehow that's been communicated either by me or somehow they got the story. Jesus is after them, <laughs> wants them to be redeemed. And every now and again, that journey will end by the Holy Spirit intervening without my presence. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a biker buddy call me at o dark 30 in the morning, woke me up out of a dead sleep, and he's going, hey, what are you doing? It's, it's not even morning. No, I said, he said, you're lucky I didn't call you when it happened. And he told <laughs> me. He tells me about a thing that happened to him that night in the dead of night. He said, he was after me. Do you think it was the big, his question to me was, do you think it was the big guy? Is he after me? I said, you got it, man. You nailed it, right? And that later on, as we unpacked it, was his moment of surrender. Hmm. I was not present, but, but the spirit of Christ was at work. Love that. So, so I think the, the baby says is being kind of just authentic. Ed has a relationship with his buddy. And so as Jesus is journeying with them on that path, Ed gets to be a part of listening, but also reflecting back and helping him navigate. I think that's certainly part of it. The other thing I think we can do, though, is um, ask great questions. So we can be great listeners, but we can also be great sharers with our own testimony. Yeah. And we can also ask great questions. But, and it's appropriate and normal to say, hey, where are you at with this whole God thing? What's your past with that? What's your present with that? And it doesn't mean, I'm not saying, hey, ask a question so I can answer it. But I'm saying, I'm trying to say, where are you at? And I think that's, again, a normal relational way to introduce the topic or to dialogue around it. If if we are true friends, if I actually care about you and you care about me, we ought to be able to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have found, I don't know why exactly, but even then going back to uh, the possibility that even though you're going to prioritize relational evangelism, sometimes it's the seat made in the airplane before COVID, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, if it goes there um, and if I let it out of the bag that I'm a God guy, then to say to the seat mate or or now whoever it might be, not necessarily a seat mate, but um, you know, what's the, what's the, What's the God factor in your life? Just something as like you were just saying, Jameson, you know, give them a chance to say something about without a whole bunch of pressure, like you need to believe this, you know, what, what do you know? What do you understand? What do you, so I love it. I love that approach. Yeah. So while you're there, let me take you just a step further. So let's say you're on an airplane or wherever and you're talking to someone and they, you find out they don't have a faith background. You don't want to become pushy, but what's the next step? So they say, hey, no, I'm not, inter- I'm not interested. Yeah. And in that moment, you just say, okay, great, cool. Well, I hope you have a great flight. Or where do you, what's the next step? If once, once one door is starting to shut, where do you take it from there? Right. I think it depends, at least for me, it would depend on how far the conversation went. You know, I might offer, look, are you interested in, in following up on this at all? Because I would love to chat with you more about it. If they're in for that, then we set that up, right? Mm-hmm. If not, I... I I would sometimes lean into a thought that says, you know, I get it. 
you need to think this over. You know, and, he, and even scripturally, we've got Jesus responding differently to different kinds of people, right? You've got the Nicodemus religious guy, and you've got the woman at the well. She's just plagued with life and junk in her life. And, and, and you've got the Thomas, you know, once the question's answered. So you've got all these models scripturally. So I'd like to, I, I try to read that, you know, where are we with this individual? And sometimes I'll say, you know, uh, you're not ready now, but um, trust me, God knows that. And the spirit is at work. And Jesus, when he was on the planet, promised that the spirit would do the work of, of working in us to bring us to a place of understanding of righteousness and, you know, sin. And, and maybe I'd even throw the judgment word in there. I don't know. But something that says, I believe that you're not done, even though our conversation is over. I've used that approach sometimes. Okay. I've become comfortable for myself with the fact that there are... Um there are open doors and closed doors and not a lot of sense kicking open doors. And at the end of the day, people have to make a choice for themselves. And it's kind of like Paul says, you know, some plant, some water, but God makes the increase. And so we plant, you know, like, Oh man, that doesn't seem to have planted, <laughs> but this is a moment in time. And I believe God will use this. I also believe God has other moments in time for that person. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in evangelism is not starting with prayer, but also not, not persevering in prayer. Mm -hmm. So if it's somebody on an airplane, like, well, that was a really a Holy spirit moment. Boy, that guy just didn't even swing at the pitch. That's too bad. Missed his moment. Well, I could leave it there and say, well, too bad. I'll move on with my life. Or I could say, you know what? I'm going to pray for this guy. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to commit to pray for this person, believing and knowing that God's got God people everywhere. Yeah. And I pray this guy can't sleep until he is, has to swing at a pitch that God's given him. That's so true. I think prayer might be my next step with a closed door. You kind of, you got to accept it and move on. You don't need to kick it open, but you ought to pray. For I love sure. that, Jameson. Yeah, good word. Man, our time is going way too fast. I feel like we could talk for hours here. But I want to I'm make sure we had at least two more things that right. I wanted to make sure we get to. So we, we hinted at something earlier that um, a lot of Christians without much, not intentionally but they find themselves just in a circle of christians and maybe their um, friendship group doesn't uh include very many non-christians or pre-christians as you call them ed and i'll just i'll use myself as an example i'll throw myself under the bus i work at a church my family is basically all christian um i live on a street where i know a lot of my a lot of my neighbors i know are uh, jesus followers so i have put myself in a position where i am not around uh non-christians very often and I'm, I've got a two-year-old, I've got a busy job, busy life. It feels like there's not a whole lot of margin for me to go be very intentional about this, even though I know I should, and I, even if I want to. So how, I mean, you guys are both very involved in church and ministry. How, how have you made it in a priority to have those kind of people still in your life? Yeah, as, a, as a pastor, every now and again, I would, I would lobby for less church stuff. Uh, let's free our people to be, you know, on mission and mm -hmm. so I think you, I think you can be intentional about that because we can overprogram for sure in our in our church family settings. Um, but I think it's a matter of priority and discipline. And I, if I didn't believe that people without Jesus are lost, mm -hmm. I would probably not be very good at mission. Uh, and so my contention is that we need to help. Jesus followers understand that people who are not Jesus followers are heading for a Christless grave, mm -hmm. a Christless eternity. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think burden uh, is something that we need to reemphasize. And when, when there's burden, then I think we, we, we reprioritize our lives, right? We look at our calendar again. We look at our budget again. And we say, whether it's a church family looking collectively or whether it's us individually, uh, we just say, you know what, this is priority for me. I'm going to make this happen. And, uh, and then we just, I, I love Jameson's emphasis on prayer, because at that point, if burden is there, maybe then we talk with Jesus and we say, Jesus, what, what's my next step? How can I do this? I'll do it. Just point it out to me. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer. And then we'll have an opportunity to, you know, to make something happen to build that relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with you, Ed. And I think if I was sitting down with even just you, Matt, and it was like, all right, let's, let's, let's take that up. You know, I, who do you know in your life that doesn't know Jesus? I kind of feel like if we thought through the places where you live, work, or play, that Jesus would bring to mind somebody. I've got an uncle, you know, that doesn't know Jesus that I've been praying for. And so even for somebody who's like kind of in professional, you know, church world ministry, which is probably the, the, a unique circumstance. I think most people in the pew, they're working around a lot of people at the workplace who don't know Jesus, or they're acting with customers or clients who don't know Jesus. But for Ed, Matt, Jameson, I think we feel this one a little bit more. It's like, man, I feel like I'm just mixing a lot with Christians. So I would just encourage everyone to start with their neighborhood. Who are the people that live on your block? Uh, do you know their names? Do you know their stories? And and start there. If you don't find any there, move on. Move on to the next block. But I think you're right, Ed. Um, having the burden is probably step one. Step two is praying, letting Jesus identify and highlight yeah. the person. And I think if you just walk around, say, "Lord, use me," you might be surprised who He brings in your path, even this week, unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't put it past God. Yeah. You, you make yourself available. Yeah. You're like, great. I've got a couple people I need to bring your way. Thanks. Thanks for making yourself available. Right. Uh, and I think too, um, and maybe another thought, I know I'm hijacking your question here a little bit, but right. um, on, on the issue of people who feel uh, inadequate or insecure or don't know what to, there are really, really good materials available, you know, for teaching, uh, whether they want to learn themselves, get the, I mean, you know, there's a great little book called Evangelism for the Rest of Us which is, you know, the others that aren't those one or 2%, right? There, there are great books. Uh, I bumped into uh, a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness by a guy named Cook. Um, I call it the Cook Recipe. <laughs> he, he tells about how you can build that stuff up. And, and you know, uh, there's, a, there's a Kokoris wrote a book called Evangelism, uh, A Biblical Approach. And Hybels, Just Walk Across the Room. You could, we could go on and on and on. There are absolutely uh, fabulous sources and more than just a book to read like there's teaching guides and experiences and all of that that can help that person who feels kind of stuck and a little afraid we can we can work with that yeah and i know locally uh we've got great partnerships with churches where where people will hop into a youth for christ club or a fca fellowship christian athletes club or young life club and they'll spend you know two three hours a week and they're just looking like, who are the three to five kids that I'm going to get to know? I'm going to walk life with. I'm going to share Christ with. Right. I'm going to listen to their stories. And so there's training that comes with that. As you kind of hop into these opportunities, you're not alone. You're with staff and other volunteers. And we obviously do training to make people ready, ready to share their story, their own testimony, and also ready to share the, the good news of the gospel. Which, by the way, at the youth level, I love 
sharing the gospel with teenagers is great because you don't get hung up on all the like theological nuances of, uh, of how it works. You know, all the stuff we like to read books about and argue about in, in the church. It's, it's like a 50,000 foot view, Jesus's life, death and resurrection, what that means for you. And there's something really refreshing about that. It's yeah. like, Hey, if, if this is aimed towards high schoolers, well, me as a 30, whatever year old, I ought to be able to wrap my head around that. I think I can be equipped to share that story. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. That's a great transition. So the last thing I wanted to be sure that we hit. So you, uh, you destroyed my excuse of not having Christian friends. So let me, I'll throw another excuse at you. And this is a, an excuse that some people might have yeah. is that um, in the Bible and even in church culture, we, we kind of accept that we have different spiritual gifts, right? And evangelism is a spiritual gift. And some people might, like you two are probably a great example of you are just kind of built and wired where this maybe you've worked at it, but it might naturally come a little bit more naturally to you than maybe some other people. Or maybe someone says, I'm an introvert. I can't talk about my faith um, or I don't have the right words or whatever. There's, there's a lot of excuses, yeah. but how would you two, how does, how does gifting play into all this and how much is a responsibility for all believers? Where do you right. draw that line? Right. That's why, uh, that's why Bechtel writes the book evangelism for the rest, for the rest of us, right? Because that's the standard, one of the standard uh, pushbacks, right? And um, I don't know uh, where you want to go with this, Jameson, but my sense is when we, when individually we recognize um, that Jesus has redeemed us uh, at huge cost for uh, the ultimate purpose of joining him in his mission on the planet, when we, when we get that, it really doesn't matter much whether we are specifically gifted with evangelism. The scripture it has far more to say about the responsibility of people, uh, any follower of Jesus. So if we're looking for mandate, it, it's, it's there. And if we're saying, yeah, but you know, I'm not Bill Bright. I've had people say to me, Ed, you're just a naturally gifted evangelist. And I push back immediately and say, I disagree. That is not my, when I do the gift testing, that's not me. I'm just a guy that, that believes that people are lost. I love Jesus. I have a burden. Um, I think it's part of my call and my mission. And I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to be the guy like Sam Shoemaker, you know, his wonderful apology for living evangelistically. He says, I, I, I'm not going to be able to save the world, but I can, I, can go to the, I can go to the corner of my street and I can find one or two or three, right? So it's a matter of chosen obedience and passion, I think, that gets us through that. But Jameson, bring it home, buddy. 100%, man. The great commandment, the great commission, Jesus standing on the mountain saying, uh, all authority heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, uh, baptize, disciple, and I'll be with you always. Jesus in Acts 1, where he says, you'll be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And with a witness, just points to Jesus, just like John the Baptist. Well, hey, look, there's Jesus, takes yeah. away the sins of the world. And his disciples get up and follow Jesus. They're like, really? So we're the people that point to Jesus. And that's for every disciple. That's for every follower of Christ. And for sure there are there are specific people like the Billy Grahams of the world, but let's not forget it wasn't that long ago that there was this uh, teenage farmhand. Uh, dad owned the farm, had a bunch of farm workers working the farm and there was a tent revival happening out 
in the fields at night. And so the farm, one of the farmhands, Albert, um, got a truck together, taking all the people out to this tent revival. He invites the son of the, the ranch owner and he says, Hey, why don't you come in here? And the guy's like, nah, I'm into football. I'm in the girls. I'm not excited about, I'm not excited about this tent revival. No way. And the guy's like, well, how about this? You can drive the truck. There's a little teenage, like 16 year old. He's like, you can drive the truck. He's like, I'll, I'll go. So he drives the truck, all the people in the back in the open bed, you know, like they used to do no seatbelts ends up at the tent revival. The kid won't go in, stays outside. Everyone else goes inside, but because it's open air, he can hear and just cut to the heart by the message walks right down the aisle, accepts Christ. Well, that's Billy Graham's conversion story. And the guy that, you know, connected him to that event was a farm guy. No one remembers named Albert McMacken. So is Albert McMacken like specifically called by God to be an evangelist? I don't know. It doesn't even matter, but he played his role in that moment, inviting Billy Graham to hear the good news of Jesus. And for sure, Billy, Robbie Zacharias, these people maybe have a specific calling on their life, but all of us are Albert McMackens. All right. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. That's awesome. And I think that really is why we want to call this relational evangelism, to help people understand that while evangelism, you know, has its nuances uh, in whatever way it does, relationships are something that most all of us are up on. We can, yeah, we can do relationships. And I think the genius of the Jesus plan is you guys are in relationship and then you're going to tell my story. And even the, the Great Commission, you know, the, the Greek verb is going or as you go, as you're going, right? So it's not like you got to go someplace. Just as you live your life, cultivate these relationships. And when they ask a question, tell them the good news. I think it's, you know, I think it's good to remember too that in a lot of ways, relational evangelism is both easier and harder, right? It's, it's easier in that we're just being intentional with converse, in conversations and relationships we already have. But then it's harder that they have to, you have to go beyond that, take that next step and really, you know, be bold enough to share your faith. Um, and so, you, you know, it's not necessarily as scary as, as maybe it used to be to go on a bullhorn on the street corner. Um, but just be real, like both of you have talked about, if Jesus is part of your life, that's going to come out eventually. So use some of those natural conversations to bend them to, to conversations that lead toward Jesus. So I think this is the best way to do it. And it sounds like you guys are both experts at this. So uh, it's awesome. I've really, man, I really wish we could keep going. Maybe we'll have to do it uh, part two sometime. This has been great. So, um, as we kind of wrap up here, any of you guys have kind of some closing thoughts? My encouragement to anybody listening is, is to just answer the question for yourself. What difference has Jesus made in your life? That's a story worth sharing. It's, you're not arguing anybody into the kingdom. You don't have to have all the Bible answers. But if you can share the difference that Jesus has made in your own life, that's good news for other people. People need to hear that story. And we need to know that for ourselves. Big, big ditto on that. It's a great, it's a great unstoppable way to tell the story. And if the person is skeptical and doubting and resistant and whatever, I think the great question is, you know, one day you really do need to answer the question about Jesus. Like, who was Jesus? That's pivotal. And if the Jesus story is for real, it's the biggest story there is. So... Yeah. When, and when Jesus' story connects to your story, that's unstoppable, right, Jameson? I mean, right. boom, <laughs> you nailed that's it. That's right. Well, thank you to both of you guys. I know that like, it's just been encouraging and um, challenging for me to hear you guys 
dive a little bit deeper into this. So thank you for uh, the work you're doing in your own lives and for taking some time to share with us today. This has been great. Thank you guys. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Ed. Yep. Thanks, Jameson. Bye for now. Deciding on the right college is a big deal. At Fresno Pacific University, we get it. We're a private nonprofit Christian university where your academic success is our priority. Our Mennonite Brethren roots run deep from the classroom to the field. Professors connect you to research and internships. Financial aid makes your education affordable. And with our four-year guarantee, you'll graduate on time to launch your career. So I believe we are six episodes in on this USMB Lead Pods. And one common theme that I'm noticing so far is that I keep getting convicted by these guests to (laughs) try new things and to um, stretch myself a little bit and grow my faith. And, you know, that's kind of what this thing is all about, is to try to teach us new skills and to broaden our horizons a little bit. And um, at least for me, I know that Ed and Jameson definitely did that. And I also want to say, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, those are the kind of guys I would want to talk to about faith. Um, I've got a few people in my life who maybe I wouldn't (laughs) want to go down that road. Um, But the way that they talked about this and the way that they choose to live their lives and to build those relationships, I just think it's that's the right way to do it. And, you know, just funny, funny timing. The other day I was out uh, running some errands. I went into Walmart and came back to my car. And wouldn't you know it, there was some kind of evangelism track um, that was in my my door handle when I went to leave and I was immediately reminded of this conversation. But anyways, I hope you found this episode to be helpful and uh, many thanks again to Ed and Jameson for joining us for this very important conversation. And again, I want to thank you for listening. Um, thank you for downloading and subscribing and um, if you haven't yet, I'd love to have you share a review online or invite some friends to listen to it. I, I'm, I'm just having a blast doing this show and I think it is really helpful content that I would love more and more people to listen to. So if you could help us spread the word, it would be much appreciated. But uh, go love your neighbors and be kind to the people around you. I feel like the world needs that maybe now more than ever before. So hang in there and um, I will look forward to talking with you again real soon.